Section 5 of Volume 1F of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Dennison. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1F section five chapter sixty four part one chapter sixty four charles the second the next session of parliament discovered a continuance of the same principles which had prevailed in all the foregoing monarchy and the church were still the objects of regard and affection during no period of the present reign did this spirit more evidently pass the bounds of reason and moderation the king, in his speech to the Parliament, had ventured openly to demand a repeal of the Triennial Act, and he even went so far as to declare that, notwithstanding the law, he never would allow any Parliament to be assembled by the methods prescribed in that statute. The Parliament, without taking offence at this declaration, repealed the law, and, in lieu of all the securities formerly provided, satisfied themselves with a general clause that Parliament should not be interrupted above three years at the most. As the English Parliament had now raised itself to be a regular check and control upon royal power, it is evident that they ought still to have preserved a regular security for their meeting, and not have trusted entirely to the good will of the King, who, if ambitious or enterprising, had so little reason to be pleased with these assemblies. Before the end of Charles's reign, the nation had occasion to feel very sensibly the effects of this repeal. By the act of uniformity, every clergyman who should officiate without being properly qualified was punishable by fine and imprisonment. But this security was not thought sufficient for the church. It was now enacted that wherever five persons above those of the same household should assemble in a religious congregation, every one of them was liable for the first offence, to be imprisoned three months or pay five pounds for the second to be imprisoned six months or pay ten pounds and for the third to be transported seven years or pay a hundred pounds the parliament had only in their eye the malignity of the sectaries they should have carried their attention further to the chief cause of that malignity the restraint under which they labored the commons likewise passed a vote that the wrongs dishonors and indignities offered to the english by the subjects of the united provinces were the greatest obstructions to all foreign trade and they promised to assist the king with their lives and fortunes in asserting the rights of his crown against all opposition whatsoever this was the first open step towards a dutch war we must explain the causes and motives of this measure that close union and confederacy which during a course of near seventy years has subsisted almost without interruption or jealousy between england and holland is not so much founded on the natural unalterable interest of these states as on their terror of the growing power of the french monarch who without their combination it is apprehended would soon extend his dominion over europe in the first years of charles's reign when the ambitious genius of Lewis had not as yet displayed itself, and when the great force of his people was in some measure unknown even to themselves, the rivalship of commerce, not checked by any other jealousy or apprehension, had in England begotten a violent enmity against the neighboring republic. Trade was beginning among the English to be a matter of general concern. 
but notwithstanding all their efforts and advantages their commerce seemed hitherto to stand upon a footing which was somewhat precarious the dutch who by industry and frugality were enabled to undersell them in every market retained possession of the most lucrative branches of commerce and the english merchants had the mortification to find that all attempts to extend their trade were still turned by the vigilance of their rivals to their loss and dishonor their indignation increased when they considered the superior naval power of england the bravery of her officers and seamen her favorable situation which enabled her to intercept the whole dutch commerce by the prospect of these advantages they were strongly prompted from motives less just and political to make war upon the states and at once to ravish from them by force what they could not obtain or could obtain but slowly by superior skill and industry the careless unambitious temper of charles rendered him little capable of forming so vast a project as that of engrossing the commerce and naval power of europe yet could he not remain altogether insensible to such obvious and tempting prospects his genius happily turned towards mechanics had inclined him to study naval affairs which of all branches of business he both loved the most and understood the best though the dutch during his exile had expressed towards him more civility and friendship than he had received from any other foreign power the Lufstein or aristocratic faction which at this time ruled the commonwealth had fallen into close union with france and could that party be subdued he might hope that his nephew the young prince of orange would be reinstated in the authority possessed by his ancestors and would bring the states to a dependence under england his narrow revenues made it still requisite for him to study the humors of his people which now ran violently towards war and it has been suspected though the suspicion was not justified by the event that the hopes of diverting some of the supplies to his private use were not overlooked by this necessitous monarch the duke of york more active and enterprising pushed more eagerly the war with holland he desired an opportunity of distinguishing himself he loved to cultivate commerce he was at the head of a new african company whose trade was extremely checked by the settlements of the dutch and perhaps the religious prejudices by which that prince was always so much governed began even so early to instill into him an antipathy against a protestant commonwealth the bulwark of the reformation clarington and southampton observing that the nation was not supported by any foreign alliance were averse to hostilities but their credit was now on the decline by these concurring motives the court and parliament were both of them inclined to a dutch war the parliament was prorogued without voting supplies but as they had been induced without any open application from the crown to pass that vote above mentioned against the dutch encroachments it was reasonably considered as sufficient sanction for the rigorous measures which were resolved on downing the english minister at the hague a man of an insolent impetuous temper presented a memorial to the states containing a list of those depredations of which the english complained it is remarkable that all the pretended depreciations preceded the year sixteen sixty two when a treaty of league and alliance had been renewed with the dutch and these complaints were then thought either so ill-grounded or so frivolous that they had not been mentioned in the treaty two ships alone the bonaventure and the good hope had been claimed by the english and it was agreed that the claim should be prosecuted by the ordinary course of justice 
the states had consigned a sum of money in case the cause should be decided against them but the matter was still independence carey who was entrusted by the proprietors with the management of the lawsuit for the bonaventure had resolved to accept of thirty thousand pounds which were offered him but was hindered by downing who told him that the claim was a matter of state between the two nations not a concern of private persons these circumstances give us no favorable idea of the justice of the english pretensions charles confined not himself to memorials and remonstrances sir robert holmes was secretly dispatched with a squadron of twenty-two ships to the coast of africa he not only expelled the dutch from cape course to which the english had some pretensions he likewise seized the dutch settlements of cape verde and the isle of gory together with several ships trading on that coast and having sailed to america he possessed himself of nova belgia since called new york a territory which james i had given by patent to the earl of stirling but which had never been planted but by the hollanders when the states complained of these hostile measures the king unwilling to avow what he could not well justify pretended to be totally ignorant of holmes's enterprise he likewise confined that admiral to the tower but some time after released him the dutch finding that their applications for redress were likely to be eluded and that a ground of quarrel was industriously sought for by the english began to arm with diligence they even exerted with some precipitation an act of vigor which hastened on the rupture sir john lawson and de ruyter had been sent with combined squadrons into the mediterranean in order to chastise the piratical states on the coast of barbary and the time of their separation and return was now approaching the state secretly dispatched orders to de ruyter that he should take in provisions at cadiz and sailing towards the coast of guinea should retaliate on the english and put the dutch in possession of those settlements whence holmes had expelled them de ruyter having a considerable force on board met with no opposition in guinea all the new acquisitions of the english except cape course were recovered from them they were even dispossessed of some old settlements such of their ships as fell into his hands were seized by de ruyter that admiral sailed next to america he attacked barbados but was repulsed he afterwards committed hostilities on long island meanwhile the english preparations for war were advancing with vigor and industry the king had received no supplies from parliament but by his own funds and credit he was enabled to equip a fleet the city of london lent him one hundred thousand pounds the spirit of the nation seconded his armaments he went himself from port to port inspecting with great diligence and encouraging the work and in a little time the english navy was put in a formidable condition eight hundred thousand pounds are said to have been expended on this armament when lawson arrived and communicated his suspicion of de ruyter's enterprise orders were issued for seizing all dutch ships and one hundred and thirty-five fell into the hands of the english these were not declared prizes till afterwards when war was proclaimed the parliament when it met granted a supply the largest by far that had ever been given to a king of england yet scarcely sufficient for the present undertaking near two millions and a half were voted to be levied by quarterly payments in three years the avidity of the merchants together with the great prospect of success had animated the whole nation against the dutch a great alteration was made this session in the method of taxing the clergy in almost all the other monarchies of europe 
the assemblies whose consent was formally requisite to the enacting of laws were composed of three estates the clergy the nobility and the commonalty which formed so many members of the political body of which the king was considered as the head in england too the parliament was always represented as consisting of three estates but their separation was never so distinct as in other kingdoms a convocation however had usually sitten at the same time with the parliament though they possessed not a negative voice in the passing of laws and assumed no other temporal power than that of imposing taxes on the clergy by reason of ecclesiastical preferments which he could bestow the king's influence over the church was more considerable than over the laity so that the subsidies granted by the convocation were commonly greater than those which were voted by parliament the church therefore was not displeased to depart tacitly from the right of taxing herself and allow the commons to lay impositions on ecclesiastical revenues as on the rest of the kingdom in recompense two subsidies which the convocation had formerly granted were remitted and the parochial clergy were allowed to vote at elections thus the church of england made a barter of power for profit their convocations having become insignificant to the crown have been much disused of late years the dutch saw with utmost regret a war approaching whence they might dread the most fatal consequences but which afforded no prospect of advantage they tried every art of negotiation before they would come to extremities their measures were at that time directed by john de witt a minister equally eminent for greatness of mind for capacity and for integrity though moderate in his private deportment he knew how to adopt in his public councils that magnanimity which suits the minister of a great state it was ever his maxim that no independent government should yield to another any evident point of reason or equity and that all such concessions so far from preventing war served to no other purpose than to provoke fresh claims and insults by his management a spirit of union was preserved in all the provinces great sums were levied and a navy was equipped composed of larger ships than the dutch had ever built before and able to cope with the fleet of england as soon as certain intelligence arrived of de ruyter's enterprises charles declared war against the states his fleet consisting of one hundred and fourteen sail besides fire-ships and catches was commanded by the duke of york and under him by prince rupert and the earl of sandwich it had about twenty-two thousand men on board obdam who was admiral of the dutch navy of nearly equal force declined not to combat in the heat of action when engaged in close fight with the duke of york obdam's ship blew up this accident much discouraged the dutch who fled towards their own coast tromp alone son of the famous admiral killed during the former war bravely sustained with his squadron the efforts of the english and protected the rear of his countrymen the vanquished had nineteen ships sunk and taken the victors lost only one sir john lawson died soon after of his wounds it is affirmed and with an appearance of reason that this victory might have been rendered more complete had not orders been issued to slacken sail by brunker one of the duke's bedchamber who pretended authority from his master the duke disclaimed the orders but brunker never was sufficiently punished for his temerity it is allowed however that the duke behaved with great bravery during the action he was long in the thickest of the fire the earl of falmouth lord muskerry and mr boyle were killed by one shot at his side 
and covered him all over with their brains and gore and it is not likely that in a pursuit where even persons of inferior station and of the most cowardly disposition acquire courage a commander should feel his spirits to flag anna should turn from the back of an enemy whose face he had not been afraid to encounter this disaster threw the dutch into consternation and determined de witt who was the soul of their counsels to exert his military capacity in order to support the declining courage of his countrymen he went on board the fleet which he took under his command and he soon remedied all those disorders which had been occasioned by the late misfortune the genius of this man was of the most extensive nature he quickly became as much master of naval affairs as if he had from his infancy been educated in them and he even made improvements in some parts of pilotage and sailing beyond what men expert in those arts had ever been able to attain the misfortunes of the dutch determined their allies to act for their assistance and support the king of france was engaged in a defensive alliance with the states but as his naval force was yet in its infancy he was extremely averse at that time from entering into a war with so formidable a power as england he long tried to mediate a peace between the states and for that purpose sent an embassy to london which returned without effecting anything lord hollis the english ambassador at paris endeavored to draw over lewis to the side of england and in his master's name made him the most tempting offers charles was content to abandon all the spanish low countries to the french without pretending to a foot of ground for himself provided lewis would allow him to pursue his advantages against the dutch but the french monarch though the conquest of that valuable territory was the chief object of his ambition rejected the offer as contrary to his interests he thought that if the english had once established an uncontrollable dominion over the sea and over commerce they would soon be able to render his acquisitions a dear purchase to him when de Leon, the french secretary assured van buningen ambassador of the states that this offer had been pressed on his master during six months i can readily believe it replied the dutchman i am sensible that it is the interest of england such were the established maxims at that time with regard to the interest of princes it must however be allowed that the politics of charles in making this offer were not a little hazardous the extreme weakness of spain would have rendered the french conquest easy and infallible but the vigor of the dutch it might be foreseen would make the success of the english much more precarious and even were the naval force of holland totally annihilated the acquisition of the dutch commerce to england could not be relied on as a certain consequence nor is trade a constant attendant of power but depends on many other and some of them very delicate circumstances though the king of france was resolved to support the hollanders in that unequal contest in which they were engaged he yet protracted his declaration and employed the time in naval preparations both in the ocean and the mediterranean the king of denmark meanwhile was resolved not to remain an idle spectator of the contest between the maritime powers the part which he acted was the most extraordinary he made a secret agreement with charles to seize all the dutch ships in his harbors and to share the spoils with the english provided they would assist him in executing this measure in order to increase his prey he perfidiously invited the dutch to take shelter in his ports and accordingly the east india fleet very richly laden had put into bergen sandwich who now commanded the english navy the duke having gone ashore dispatched sir thomas tittleman with a squadron to attack them 
but whether from the king of denmark's delay in sending orders to the governor or what is more probable from his avidity in endeavoring to engross the whole booty the english admiral though he behaved with great bravery failed of his purpose the danish governor fired upon him and the dutch having had leisure to fortify themselves made a gallant resistance end of section five chapter sixty four part one recording by jim dennison j i m d e n i s o n dot i convoice dot com